Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-24. He kept Israel in Egypt until the wickedness of the Amorites was complete. And that wasn't up to Israel to decide when that point was. We are to wait in this Egypt, even if it be under oppression and slavery, until he decides the wickedness of this world is complete. And it's not for us to fight them under our own leadership, if not under his. On this podcast today, I am going to have a discussion here with my wife, Suzanne. We're going to talk about the war of the worlds. There are two worlds, at least. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and... Hi, I'm Suzanne, Avi's wife and helper. I want to start with John 18.36. Yeshua answered... Pilate, or Pilatus, Yeshua said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Yehudim or the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. I think that's really, really important. Absolutely. If his kingdom is not from here, then this here kingdom is another kingdom under another authority. And there's a choice between these two. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about some common patterns and strategies, you know, that we often run into when we're uh, doing our work and the things we're doing, you know, here in the world. It seems to me that the enemy that we are fighting against out there, an invisible enemy, that this enemy out there wants to say to us, do not choose Yehovah, Yudhevavi. Don't don't choose him. Whatever you do, do not choose the biblical Messiah of truth. It sounds similar to what Henry Ford said years ago, choose any color as long as it's black. So I suppose the enemy says, choose any Messiah as long as it's not the true one. He is quite happy with either of your wrong decisions. So therefore, we would say the Messiah of truth, the biblical Messiah of truth, is the Messiah of the tree of life. And uh, he is the good tree. That's the one back in Genesis chapter 2, the uh, the tree of life, right? The Yetzachayim. Mm-hmm. So we learn in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. So choose whatever side you want from the death and evil mix. Just do not choose from the tree of life and the good mix. Yeah, so basically there can potentially be three choices, right? The good from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The evil from the tree of knowledge of good and evil or any combination of the above two, and then the tree of life. It's either tree of life or tree of knowledge of good and evil, but within the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it seems like there are many different options, but there aren't. All of them are choosing that one tree. I I think I would say we can choose whatever side suits our inward drive. And I'm going to define that as the good of the good and evil mix or the, quote, evil of the good and evil mix. Yes, and um, I think especially the deceptive part can be the good side of the good and evil mix. Mm -hmm. And distinguishing 
whether the good that you are striving for is from the good of the wrong tree or if it's the good from the tree of life. And maybe we should dig into that a bit to see if we are busy with the correct good. So John 8, 31 to 32, Yeshua says to those Yehudim of the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So the choice is ours. Yeah. And and what is it that we want to be set free from? How do we define this freedom? Is it freedom from a political oppressor? Freedom from Rome? Freedom from the Democrats? Freedom from China? What, What is your oppressor that you need freedom from? I think that's an important one to think about. If I look at um, our options today, I think they are no more different than they were 2,000 years ago and 6,000 years ago. So you can either have a religious political view and Messiah or a atheist humanist view with the Messiah that goes with that. The religious political Messiah um, makes reminds me of the Barabbas figure that we have in Matthew 27. Mm. And um, the atheist humanist, we just have to improve ourselves a bit more and then we can be Messiah, right? So it, there's definitely two camps that I believe both are from the wrong tree. The Nahash, the serpent of uh, the Genesis chapter 3 narrative, he really doesn't care whether we're going with a religious political zealot Messiah type of figure like Barabbas, or whether we're going with a non-religious Messiah figure uh, of humanism, that is, um, we'll save ourselves kind of idea. He, He doesn't really have any preference, I suppose. No, I think you can choose any Messiah as long as it's not the true one. So don't choose the Messiah figure of biblical truth is what he's saying. Absolutely. Matthew 27, 20 through 22. Let's read this together. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Yeshua. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. So then Pilatus, or Pilate, then says to them, So what then shall I do with Yeshua, who is called Mashiach, or Christ in the Greek? And they all said to him, let him be crucified. So I suppose this comes down to the fact that we can be on the side of a religious political zealot. Or atheist humanist self as the Messiah. Interesting, right? That Barabbas, Bar Aramaic, right? Mm -hmm. For son. Abbas, father, Abba. Barabbas, son of the father. Mm-hmm. On the one side, and um, seems like some of the older manuscripts even have Yeshua Barabbas. Seems that his name was Yeshua too. So you have on one end Yeshua, son of God, the Barabbas, and on the other side Yeshua ben Yah, the son of the Heavenly Father. So there are our two options, and how are they different? Uh, John 8, starting at verse 38. But now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Definitely two different fathers here. Yeah? Mm-hmm. They answered and said to him, But Abraham is our father. 
Yeshua said to them, If you were Abraham's son, you would do the actions of Abraham, but you do the actions of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication, and we have one father, Elohim. Yeshua said to them, If Elohim or God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, Nahash, or devil, and the desire of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it, the lie. Very telling, two fathers and two sons. So Barabbas, you know, in the Aramaic, that is still a son of the father, but which father is it? I want to talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, this is the one in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, also 2, verse 17, and then uh, the whole narrative of Genesis chapter 3 is dealing very specifically with this particular tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, it represents to me kind of the Chinese religious philosophy of the yin-yang, mm-hmm. the dark light idea, the mixing. Yeah, or the balancing between the two and just finding that Mm -hmm. perfect balance that you don't have to let go of either one. You just hang on to both. Together, let's look at Isaiah 5, 20 through 24. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent or with understanding in their own sight. Um, Then there's some additional words that are spoken here. And then it comes to the concluding thought of that verse, because they have rejected the law of Yehovah Tsevaot, the uh, master or Yudhe of hosts, of heaven's hosts, and have despised the word, uh, the Aramaic of the Targum has have despised the memra, the memra of the Holy One of Israel. In other words, we forget the word. We don't need it. Mm-hmm. We're fine. We've got our own wisdom, right? It reminds us of Eve, right in Genesis, where she looked at the tree and that it was good to, and it was able to make her wise. So once we've eaten from that, we say, we, we don't need the word or the memra. We, we are wise enough. We, we got this handled. I can handle this. I don't need you, God. In other words, what, what I hear you saying uh, is that we forget the word or the memra. That is the uh, personification of this logos uh, idea that's mentioned in the Greek text of our uh, new covenant. So he says that uh, we forget the word or the memra and we do not need him for this situation. Now, this uh, this word, this memra, is found in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten or unique one of the Father, full of grace and truth. What, what are people saying out there? We will fight them by becoming smarter. Yeah, we'll just use our own wisdom. We've got wisdom. We've got access to wisdom through the tree that we eat from. We can just uh, improve ourselves. We can keep evolving um, 
We will fix this problem. We don't need help from God. We can evolve into a better humanity. We can uh, create our own utopia, our Shangri-La, our Eden, whatever we want to call it. The new world where everyone lives in peace and harmony. We've got it all sorted out. Let's just use the wonderful technological improvements and things we have these days. We've become so smart, we can fix it all. So it's kind of like uh, saying we can courageously rebuild ourselves and our world. Uh, We're in a position where we can evolve into a better humanity and live in health and in a utopian society. Just let's fix it all, you know. But it reminds me of a passage in Isaiah 9, 8 through 10. I'd like you to read that if you would, please. Jehovah sent a word against Jacob, and he has fallen on Israel. All the people will know, Ephraim and the dwellers of Samaria, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. We've heard that words after 9-11, right? After the towers fell. We've heard that so many times um, being said as if it's meant to be a, a good thing and God will be pleased with our uh, rebuilding. But this context is actually quite against his system. This is closer to building our own Tower of Babel. But we hear that even today. Yeah, we have to rebuild the economy. We've seen the economy crash down with COVID, Mm -hmm. but we will rebuild the economy or whatever nation you are in. If your nation is looking a bit worse than a few years before, we will rebuild. We will make it great again. We see that happening everywhere. But again, we, we need to be reminded about what Yeshua said in John 18, 36. My kingdom is not of this world. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Yehudim or the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So this should just tell us uh, an approach to this whole playbook. What are we supposed to be doing? And, And I think we are all kingdom builders. It's within us because we have been created in the image of God, and He is a kingdom builder. Mm-hmm. So we have the built-in desire um, to be building kingdoms. The question is, whose kingdom are we building? And the enemy knows that we've got that desire built into us. So we don't have to suppress our desire to build a kingdom. It's just be very aware of which kingdom you're building. And he's building a temple and a kingdom. And if we are his co-workers, it's his kingdom that we should be focused on which is not of this world. It seems to me that when I read through the uh, New Testament narratives, I'm looking for places maybe where Yeshua would have been teaching a principle to fight against this world in the natural, but I don't ever seem to find that. Quite the opposite. He speaks against fighting in the natural. He fought against the enemy in the realm of the spirit. Um, And we too should learn to do the same. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Messiah, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled or filled up to the full, overflowing in unity. So we clearly have it there that the understanding is we're fighting not against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle. And it's a battle 
that will be one on Calvary. It won't be one with cavalry. Hmm, that, that's creative. Did, did you do you write your own material on that? No. <laughs> <laughs> that I can't remember who said that, but I've hooked it onto my brain a long time ago. That's a, that's a very good way of remembering it. So that's our choice: cavalry or Calvary. So Yeshua did not fight Rome. Not that I can see, at least not in the natural, he didn't. He did not come to save Israel, the Jews, or really any of us from Rome, as we would understand the idea or define it. He came to save Israel from sin and death. I have a couple of passages that uh, might support that idea. Uh, Genesis 2, 16 through 17. And Jehovah Elohim commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of him, not it, in the day that you eat of him, that tree, in dying you will die. Now, that's actually the way it appears in the Hebrew text. All of the English narratives, they say you'll surely die. But uh, uh, the Hebrew is much more precise on that. It's actually got uh, two deaths kind of baked into the narrative. So it's like, you know, you're going to eat of that tree. And if you do that, then not only will you die in the physical, but you will then also die in the spiritual. And uh, that really shows us that whole principle of why he came to save Israel from sin and death, not from physical death, because we're stuck. We all have to die physical death. At some point, we're all going to die that. Now, uh, I would like to, again, stress this point from John 8, 23 through 24. Uh, Would you go ahead and read that for us, please? And he said to them, he meaning the Yeshua, and Yeshua said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. See, right here we have the two deaths right here. Yeah, and clearly two worlds, two different sources, two different places of origin, meaning two different fathers, two different kingdoms. Two different Messiah-type figures. Let's go back and uh, uh, recount again of what happened at the city of Gamala in the north of Israel, on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. I remember when you took me there many years ago. Uh, what an amazing experience was to stand there and consider that place actually meant or what it represented back then. Well, we just finished the uh, teaching with uh, Joe Bartling, the uh, licensed private investigator. He does stuff like that. And he's got uh, gamla.org and he's been uh, taking it a lot further than I would have ever taken it. Hi, Joe. Hope you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) He made a very strong case uh, that this Gamla is likely the boyhood town that Yeshua grew up in, that his family was at. That was Nazareth, rather than that huge distance way over to the west in the hills overlooking the Jezreel Valley. It's just too far. It's a whole different world over there. Gamla was a town of, uh, of zealots of uh, these uh, very um, intense people that were just trying to free Israel 
from the main oppressor of the time. Maybe if um, those that haven't listened to it, please go back and listen to the previous podcast. Did you want to give just a short overview of what the Gamla Zealots stood for? We know from history, Zong, that they were the sworn enemies of Rome. Mm-hmm. They were fighting on behalf of the, the Jews, on behalf of all Israel in their minds. They were saying, we are in this situation because of our enemies, and in this case, it would be Rome, and um, they were going to, they were going to, they were going to free us. So, And it must have seemed like a good thing, right? Rome was definitely serving pagan gods. Mm-hmm. Rome was horribly oppressing the people of the true God. Mm-hmm. So clearly fighting Rome must have seemed like a good thing. Well, and they, and they took their job as a divine mandate to free the nation from all of this uh, oppression. And uh, they, they actually had a very interesting uh, phrase that comes up a lot in that particular community on the mountain of Gamla. And that uh, phrase is called the redemption of Zion or the redemption of Zion. And in fact, uh, uh, slogans printed on the bronze coins of the great revolt between 66 and 70 of the common era. These were coins found by archaeology teams by uh, Shamaria Gutman and those who had gone to excavate that site. They found Uh, a lot of these um, bronze coins with this uh, with this slogan kind of etched into the coin. Uh, they are slogans such as for the freedom of Jerusalem, for the freedom of Israel, the freedom of Zion. They, uh, they, they had uh, some coins that had uh, this um, engraving that said year two of the freedom of Israel. They found that. They had coins that said the freedom of or for the redemption of Zion. And they had some uh, slogans such as for the redemption of Jerusalem, the holy. So they clearly had a... Um, It's a nationalist ideology, right? Yeah, I, I would definitely say that. A, a strong nationalist ideology, but a nationalist ideology with a spiritual kind of religious twist, pushing them on to say, we're going to beat them. We're going to get them out of our country and everything's going to be okay. But do we have that in other countries here today? Do we have a lot of that stuff also going on here today in our in our own world? Yeah, and interesting, um, for those of you who can recognize my accent, I am from South Africa. Mm-hmm. And um, we have quite a history of freedom fighters. Um, those who know Nelson Mandela, those who know of Nelson Mandela, I'm thinking most of you would, um, he led the freedom fighters many years ago fighting against the oppressors, the white oppressors back then, right? Let's call them Rome in our metaphor. And interesting enough, they fought them with sword and bomb and whatever they had. And with the help of the whole world, they overthrew this great oppressor. And interesting for anyone who um, dares to look into a bit of what's going on in South Africa now, um, those freedom fighters then came into leadership and they just became the new oppressors. Th- that should teach us something. And we see that in scripture over and over again, um, that today's freedom fighter is tomorrow's oppressor. That's why I think Yeshua clearly wants to tell us that there's another option. There is a different option and there's a different oppressor that is the true oppressor and a different freedom that he came to bring us. 
So these uh, freedom fighters of Yeshua's day in the mountain city of Gamala in the north of Israel at the northeastern shores of the Sea of Galilee, kind of tucked into a canyon there, the Daliot Canyon. These freedom fighters, these zealots, Kanaim in Hebrew, they maintained a nationalist ideology centered on the concept of Israel, but not Israel the oppressed, but Israel the victorious, who wins over the oppressor. The Israel who would be the head and not the tail. There are so many scriptures that they could have hung on to, to think that they have divine authority to fight Rome. But there are so many others pointing to the redemption that they needed themselves. Zan, let's come back and talk further about some of these ideas that we're uh, chatting about, okay? This is Real Israel Talk Radio, and uh, I am Avi ben Mordechai, and we're talking about the War of the Worlds. We'll be back after the break. to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-23. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. This is Real Israel Talk Radio. I am Avi Ben Mordechai. Hi, I'm Suzanne, Avi's wife and helper. And we're talking about the War of the Worlds. Um, that today's freedom fighter is tomorrow's oppressor. That's why I think Yeshua clearly wants to tell us that there's another option. There is a different option and there's a different oppressor that is the true oppressor and a different freedom that he came to bring us. There's so many scriptures that they could have hung on to to think that they have divine authority to fight Rome. But there are so many others pointing to the redemption that they needed themselves that the Messiah was to come and save them from their sins. Um, so, yeah, if we, if we just select certain scriptures without the context of the others, we can easily come to the same conclusion and fall into the zealot camp. Yeshua spoke directly to the matter that we're talking about here. So he spoke by reading from the scroll of Isaiah on a Shabbat there, which we believe was at Gamala and not at the Nazareth that is the traditional Nazareth in the hills of the Jezreel Valley. And if that is, in fact, the case, then he was standing in that synagogue on a Sabbath, and that's where the scroll of the uh, prophet Isaiah was handed to him on the Sabbath. And uh, we learn about that in Luke four sixteen through 17. Uh, you want to read that for us? So he, Yeshua, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of Yehovah Elohim is upon me, because Yehovah has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of Jehovah. Now, what I think is interesting is they're listening to this. They're listening to him 
say all of these words coming from the prophet Isaiah. Yeah, what would they have been thinking at that point? Who are they going to be set free from? Mm-hmm. Who is the liberty to the captives? Who does that refer to? Maybe, maybe they're thinking this does apply to them, kind of like they're standing there on and they're going, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna beat them, we're gonna win them, we're you know, yeah, we're not gonna be oppressed anymore. We're free, we're free. Thank you, thank you for saying that." Finally, someone is gonna come and. Kick some Roman butt. This kind of fits with Daniel 12, 2 through 3. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness or justness in the Hebrew are going to be like the stars forever and ever. So there's this whole idea uh, kind of reflecting Isaiah 59, 20, where he says the Redeemer is going to come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Yaakov. So I think we're going to be used as partnering with the Almighty Redeemer to bring that about. But but we have to have sympathy for, for the Jews 2,000 years ago. If you think of the corruption that was going on in the leadership, the swamp they had there that clearly also needed some draining. They had a corrupt priesthood Mm -hmm. who were in bed with Rome. Oppression not only from Rome, but oppression from within. Mm -hmm. And you can understand why the, the people, the commoners, were waiting anxiously for many of these prof- these prophecies to be fulfilled for someone to come and set them free from the daily hard life that they had. And I think many of us today can relate to that. So I can understand why when they were offered the option of a, a zealot Barabbas, why um, that was such an appealing option for them. But also the warning that that was the wrong choice they made. So um, when we go back to what Yeshua was doing when he was in the synagogue. In the, in the headquarters, basically, right, of the uh, religious zealots of his time. I would think so. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was the north. It was Gamble in the north, of course. And he was reading from this scroll of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61. And uh, he was saying that the spirit of Jehovah Elohim is upon me. And he says to proclaim the acceptable year of Jehovah. But then what does he do at that point? Then he closed the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So the liberty that he came to proclaim, the captives he came to set free. If you choose the true libertarian, you would choose Yeshua, Ben Yah, because he says in him that scripture is fulfilled. The salvation and the redemption that he represents is the true one that all these scriptures refer to. Can you imagine you're sitting there and he's saying, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now these are zealots. These are religious freedom fighters. Yeah, they were expecting to be set free. So quite likely they were expecting him to continue. His reading of Isaiah 61 too. But see, he closes it 
before the end of that statement. Yeah, it closes before saying, and the day of vengeance for our God to comfort all who mourn. But that's what they're after. Yeah, not me, right? The problem is them. They're, they're looking to exact vengeance on the Roman oppressors. Bring vengeance on them. There's nothing wrong with me. We're fine. We're your people. We want vengeance on them, the enemy. Isaiah 61 two then says that. And he says he's going to do vengeance at some other point because he stopped reading at that point. I mean, that had to be very deliberate. So then as the freedom fighters of Israel, they're waiting for him to finish this statement and he doesn't finish it. It seems Yeshua is saying that all of you people here uh, have chosen to fight against the wrong enemy. If we look at what he said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, blind Pharisee first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So what does that tell us about what's happening here is that the enemy was never the Roman oppressor or whatever oppressor we wish to identify with uh, on the outside. The enemy and the oppressor is sin and death, and this is the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil inside of us. Uh, you know, we have a lot of things going on in our world today, and uh, there is there's a lot of oppression that we're feeling. Particularly, you you know, you can you can feel it, you can see it. It's it's very evident. Yeah, and we feel it coming closer. The noose is tightening. Whoever is Rome today, yeah, let's bring down Rome. Our God is going to bring down Rome. He didn't do it 2,000 years ago. He's not going to do it today. Whatever Rome is in your eyes, he didn't come to set us free from Rome. He came to set us free from sin and death. So Yeshua's public humiliation was, uh, you know, was, was very real. And when Pilate, Pilatus, gave all of those gathered there at that judgment, when he gave them a choice to choose between their messianic freedom fighter from above or the zealot freedom fighter from below who uh, was politically aligned against Rome along with all those who were following him, then what happened when he gave them that choice? So read John 18:40. Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, referring to Yeshua, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And if you look at the Greek there, mm-hmm. um, and along with some of the other verses referring to him, it seems from the scripture he was a person who engaged in insurrection, He was a rebel. He wasn't just a common old robber and thief. He was a religious uh, zealot. And he was incarcerated for murder in connection with his uh, insurrection against Rome. So he was an insurrectionist. Yes. (laughs) He was a rebel. (laughs) Yeah, you can be an insurrectionist or a resurrectionist. (laughs) Now, that, that's creative. No, wait a minute. Can we say that again here? That was good. That was, that was really good. Do you want to be an insurrectionist or a resurrectionist? I want to be a resurrectionist. <laughs> 
You know, that that's actually very good. I've never heard you say that before. So, you know, th- this goes back again to the, that passage we were reading in Isaiah, where we say, we're going to rebuild with the the bricks have fallen down. We're going to rebuild with our... Hewn stone. We're going to rebuild everything. You know, that almost sounds like what's going on in America. Not just in America, but all over the world. The drumbeats of war are clearly getting louder and louder. And it seems more and more for us as a body of believers that the enemy can get very clear as to be the shadow governments with the one world rule that they have in mind with Satan at the head and the vaccine that they want to chip us all with. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the enemy is showing his true colors, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone part of that. But clearly, so that is our Rome of today. And today we have the same choice. If we are offered Yeshua Bar Abbas, or we are offered Yeshua Ben Yah, which is the one that we are going to choose today? And that's a, a that's a thought that I had to really go deep into my heart. And what what am I spending most of my time on? Which one am I talking about most? Which one is the one that I'm looking up to in my heart the most? And which enemy is the one I'm fighting? Uh, are we calling people out of the world into a different world? Or are we trying to overcome them? Yeshua already overcame the world. Are we meant to overcome them? Or are we meant to call them out? Love them into this kingdom. I believe Yeshua said we are to love them into his kingdom. Not overcome their kingdom. I think I think that would lead us to uh, a passage that happens at Yeshua's um, arrest in the garden. Just uh, uh, that last uh, fateful night before his crucifixion. Uh, this is in Luke twenty-two forty-nine. When those around him saw what was going to happen, this whole thing that was taking place in the garden uh, that night, they said to him, "Master, shall we strike with the sword? Shall we call in the cavalry?" And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Yeshua answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Beautiful. But but I I think if I were there, maybe I would have said, the right ear, take his head off. Yeah. But Yeshua said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. So, it's natural for us to want to call the cavalry. And Yeshua is going to show them it's about Calvary. And this soldier, he wants to heal his ear so that he can shema, so that he can hear and do. He's calling him. He wants to set that captive free. Mm. Without ears, he cannot hear. Those who have ears to hear. So if you take away someone's ear, if you pull out your sword and take away his ear, metaphorically, of course, then they lose their ability to hear. And we want to heal their ears so that they can hear, so that they can be set free from their captivity, so that we can all be set free from our captivity. But but we don't want to do that. We want to no. say we we want to say God call down fire from heaven, just wipe them all out. These rotten, terrible, evil people. Yeah, as you say, not cut off not only their ear but their head. Yeah, and we will decide who who the ones are that need to lose their heads. We will be the judges of that. We will be wise in our own eyes to decide 
when we will be the judge, jury, and executioner. So I see something that Yeshua said in uh, John twelve forty eight: He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. And he says, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Yeah, not today. Not the word that I have spoken, and not today in by my hand and by my words. The words that he has spoken, and it will judge him in the last day. That is to come. It's not our place to do that now. Our place now is to heal their ear so that they can shema, so that they can hear. So that, that takes me back again to what was going on when Yeshua was reading from uh, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61 at the synagogue there in Gamala or Nazareth uh, when he's reading and then he uh, he stops just short of that last line where he says to proclaim the favorable year of Yah and then he stops but yet it continues on and the day of vengeance of our God so he he just doesn't read that last statement. Yeah, because that's to come in the last day. That's where the word is going to judge. So can we find comfort in that? Yes, because we don't have to feel that we are victims. He has already overcome the world. We don't have to strive to um, beat down an enemy um, because he's already done that and on Calvary. We are now called to show mercy, to offer them peace in him. And then he will decide when when it's done, when he draws that line in the sand and say, all right, your, your time is over. I've offered you peace. You didn't accept it. And now I'm coming to judge. That time hasn't come. As we um, read in Proverbs, there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. And this is a time for peace. He's come to proclaim peace. He's offering the peace of his kingdom. It seems to me, though, that that door is quickly coming to a close. It, it, it feels that way anyway. It does, it does, which makes it all the more urgent for us to be proclaiming the peace in Him. Because once that door is closed and He brings that last judgment, I believe we will be found wanting if we didn't persist in what He's called us to do right till the end. Mm. If we lose sight of what He's called us to do right towards the end, we're not finishing strong. This isn't the time to become zealots um, for the wrong kingdom. This is the time to be very aware and, and stay strong and endure till the end. The end's close. Seems like the end is close. This is the time to be very wary of the, de the deception that can come in and move us to the wrong camp, the wrong Messiah and the wrong kingdom and the wrong sword. As I read the news and the headlines and what's going on, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of our own people in the messianic household of faith are getting really stirred up to choose a side, and I fear perhaps we're uh, we're we're being tempted to choose a Barabbas type of figure on Earth. It, it just seems that maybe we're we're being um, directed to choose some kind of an earthly savior to help us through this whole mess. Do you do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I see what you're seeing because we have we all have a desire for freedom and liberty and we all have a fight in us. And we shouldn't quench that. 
we should just apply it to the right kingdom and the right purpose. It's not the Rome out there that we need to fight. It's firstly the Rome in me, in all of us. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. None are righteous. And the moment that we have been made righteous through Messiah, then we should extend that same free righteousness to the others who have not yet met him or known him. But we look at all these evil doers out there, Zan, we say... Judgment on them. Mercy on me, but judgment on them. <laughs> yes. Oh, I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. And and um, that's, that's a thing that we have to guard against, I think. I have to guard against it in my own heart all the time, all the time. <laughs> so um, I think our tendency is definitely towards an earthly, fleshly kingdom and a, a being, being zealous for earthly things instead of being zealous for heavenly things. Well, I'm, uh, I'm reminded of uh, the passage in uh, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of Elohim, the word of God, is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. I'm thinking of the Hebrew words nephesh and neshama, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we don't know what all these people up at the shadow governments and the high, the high pinnacle of these, uh, you know, these people that are doing these kinds of things up there that we think are doing these things. We don't know what the intent of their heart is. I mean, we can speculate all day long, but we really don't know. And this sword, this two-edged sword, we have to apply, pray for it to be applied to our own hearts first mm. and then to another's heart and not use a outward sword to chop off his ear or head, but the sword of the Spirit applied to our own hearts first and then the other. So we should seek the Messiah that frees us from sin and death, if I am understanding what you're saying correctly. Uh, not a Messiah that frees us from Rome. Yeah, but the baked-in enemy within that's come from from Adam been passed down so many years ago that we all start off with. Absolutely. I I can experience it in my own life um, since I've been set free from that inner enemy. Looking at anyone else, there, there but by the grace of God go I. So what I have freely received, I have to fight in the spirit to make that freedom available to that person out there who has not yet come into that and offer that to them. So bottom line, what is our divine mandate? Should we be fighting the system? Should we be fighting Rome? Who are we supposed to fight? Do we have some more scriptures to guide us into identifying the correct enemy? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, this is Avi Ben Mordechai, uh, and I am with Suzanne, my wife. Zan, welcome. And uh, it's nice to have you uh, chiming in with some of your thoughts and ideas here on the podcast here today. It's just interesting to uh, take a look at some of these ideas that we're looking at, particularly our world today is, is just so 
uh, filled with tension. There's a lot of stress going on, particularly with the whole COVID thing and the and the the vaccine thing and the chipping and the uh, the Bill Gates and uh, you know it's just there's so much stuff going on out there, and it's it's just. Uh, it's churning. The waters are churning. And our own physiology is churning because we go either into flight, we become the fearful little rabbits that they would like to create, but they're equally happy if we respond with fight um, because we're thinking the oppressors won't be happy if we fight back, but then we're missing the true goal where Nahash, his true goal isn't that you shouldn't fight in, in the flesh. His, his only goal is that you shouldn't choose the Messiah. That's his goal. So if we choose not flight and, and um, cowering like little scared rabbits, but if we choose to fight and we fight with a natural sword and we fight in the spirit, he is as happy as can be because you didn't choose the true Messiah, the sword of the word and the kingdom. So he wins either way. And um, whether we fight or flight, if it's done in the natural for for an earthly kingdom, we lose both ways. So both both camps are basically doing his bidding then. Both camps are choosing the wrong Messiah. And that is the true goal of the enemy that we started off with. It doesn't matter which Messiah you choose as long as it's not the correct one. This is Real Israel Talk Radio. I am Avi ben Mordechai, and we're talking about the War of the Worlds. And uh, we thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Hope it has been uh, interesting to you and perhaps maybe even challenging at some level. And uh, we're going to uh, come back on the next podcast and we'll uh, talk more about these ideas that we're uh, that we've presented here on this podcast today. Uh, so hopefully you'll have a chance to join us and we'll continue where we left off on some of the thoughts on uh, these two kingdoms, one below and one above. This is the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio with Avi Ben Mordechai. If you wish to stay up to date with coming home news and information, simply register your email address with us on our website, cominghome.co.il. From time to time, we hope to answer questions and comments from our podcast listeners. So if you have a comment or a question, send us an email address to questions at cominghome.co.il. Y'all willing? We'll see you next time for Ancient Roads. Real Israel, talk radio.